0: Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we review the events and investment performance of 2019, whether the end of this economic cycle is near, and what investors need to think about as we approach 2020, with Mike Haslam, Head of Funds Distribution, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. Welcome to this week's Word on the Street. My name is Mike Haslam and I'm joined by our Chief Investment Officer, Will Hobbs. So Will, we are gliding into Christmas. Um, It's the end of the year. In fact, it's the end of the decade. Uh, Last week, you took us through a review of the last 10 years. Uh, This week, I thought we would take a look back over 2019, dust off the crystal ball and have a look at what maybe next year has in store for us. Uh, So let's start with this year. Um, it seems, Will, that everything has gone up this year. Shares, bonds, gold, frozen, concentrated orange juice, the lot. Uh, and as you come to Christmas, you know, clients, investors will look back at their their uh, investment portfolios. And it's not just Randolph and Mortimer who will be pleased this year. Um, I think all our investors will be. So, Will, you know, when you look at what's happened this year, have you been surprised just, just by how strong the returns have been from stocks and bonds.
1: Loving those trading places uh, 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 references, Mike. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, we haven't had much frozen OJ in, uh, in portfolios this year. But yes, we were positioned for the strength in stocks at the beginning of the year. But we were taken aback, I think, by the continuing strength in bonds, I have to admit. Um, and I guess really, I mean, I think the important thing for investors to get a hold of on this is that it's yet another moment that exemplifies the need to always be on the pitch, always be invested uh, in a kind of sensibly diversified fashion. Again, that sounds self Serving. But, I mean, if you think about it, you know, at this time last uh, year, many of the doomers were again shouting at us to sell everything, pack up your investment bags, you know, buy some tin food and some shotgun cartridges uh, and, uh, and just wait happily for the economic apocalypse that was meant to already be upon us. However... Much like when this chorus was trying to lure us onto the rocks of uh, uh, of uh, uh, disinvestment back in 2016, the most sensible advice actually would have been to buy everything. Stocks, bonds, commodities, like you say, have all risen strongly this year.
0: Now, I've heard you suggest Toby, that the uh, so when you look at some of the factors that's maybe dominating the, the news, the trade war, Brexit probably haven't been the most important factors to think about when you think about, you know, the the economy, UK, global economy. But that frankly seems a bit weird to me because everywhere you look, front pages, Brexit, trade war.
1: Yeah, I mean, we live in the sort of, you know, the reductive world of the the tweet, the headline. Um, And Brexit and the trade war have, I guess, been the most kind of gripping stories of this year, or or I guess... um, Maybe that's just for us, you know, financial markets, tragics like us. There's been other interesting stories, let's face it. Uh, But, you know, nonetheless, the temptation has been to kind of stretch these stories um, to perhaps explain more than they could or should. Um, Now, as usual, um, the all explaining box office answer like likely kind of rides uh um over quite a bit roughshod sorry over quite a bit of um uh, of kind of importance nuance so for example the, you know we we talked about this before but you know the chinese economic slowdown this actually predates and it 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 fits the narrative to say you know the president sort of suddenly escalates the trade war chinese economy slows down it sounds like you know the president has the chinese economy on a piece of string but you know, actually, the slowdown predates uh, the trade uh, trade tensions. And actually, if you look at the charts of the slowdown in isolation and don't listen to any of the noise, it would be hard to pinpoint where actually the trade tensions ratcheted up. Now, the point here actually is one of sort of, in our opinion, domestic resource misallocation. So Chinese authorities, in the interests of sort of combating um, kind of burgeoning financial stability risks, they've been carefully turning the credit spigots down over the last couple of years. Now, the interesting thing here is that if you are a domestic lender, put yourself in the shoes of a Chinese domestic uh, lender, you have... um, a difficult decision. I'm obviously oversimplifying here, but on one hand, you have a kind of low return on assets, highly leveraged, kind of lumbering Leviathan that enjoys an implicit state guarantee. And on the other, you have a nimbler, higher return on assets, lower leverage uh, business uh, that doesn't have that state guarantee. Now, in a normal world, you would simply just lend uh, to that kind of nimbler, higher ROA, you know, the better credit risk. But in this economy, obviously, you go, the credit has naturally gravitated uh, towards um, the areas enjoying that implicit state guarantee. And that's necessarily reduced, uh, you know, the productivity or, you know, that means that credit is going to the areas where it's, it's least needed in a sense or, or, or least useful. OK, so I don't want to
0: be a voice of doom, but, you know, another year older, this, this economic cycle, it seems to get longer and longer Surely this means we are now closer to the um
1: um the next recession the next downturn. You love being the voice of doom, look at it. But anyway, not not as much as Toby May but but no, I mean I I would, you know, uh, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, uh chronological age is mostly pretty meaningless um in thinking about economic cycles. Um there's no more kind of automatic risk of a recession in the next twelve months than there was two or five years ago to be honest um in fact, as we look to next year in the plus column we 've actually got um already pretty stimulative monetary policy. What I mean by that is interest rates are kind of low at all maturities, so you know the the ability to to borrow at very low costs is is there um, and that's allied to likely a more helpful tailwind um from government spending around the world um and also, you can probably argue that stockrooms, um, you know, corporate stockrooms or inventories are, uh, are pretty low or, you know, empty, suggesting that, um, you know, and, and they've been run down over the course of the year as people worried about final demand and the next recession. Uh, and that's probably also potentially a, a, a slightly helpful tailwind uh, as we replenish those stockrooms a little bit.
0: Right. Let's talk politics, not UK politics. Let's stay, stay well clear of that. <laughs> Thank you. The <laughs> uh, biggest story in 2020 is no doubt uh, the US presidential election uh, towards the end of the year. Question to you, will President Trump get a second term and what would that mean for markets? No idea. Hey,
1: sorry. Um, It's uh, no, Mike. We don't see ourselves having an edge here. Um, We'll leave uh, the armchair political political punditry to other kind of braver souls. We can make a couple of points though. Um, I think you know whoever wins, untrammelled power will not be conferred uh, on the eventual victor. You know, checks and balances uh, uh, remain in place. Trade tensions will likely persist no matter who wins. um, As will kind of probably growing angst about kind of, you know, the tech titans, increasingly apparent uh, political and economic muscle. Uh, But that's probably as far as we can go, to be honest.
0: But thinking about it as an investor, how can I invest, though, if I... Uh, without at least having a guess where these elections will go because the policy proposals in the US are so very different from the parties very much like in the UK
1: yeah I mean I think the first point we'd make on this I mean it is interesting and I I think that is that that is an impediment for many investors and I I think we can completely understand why but I think we've got to be wary of the caricature of the world economy as kind of Pinocchio to President Trump's Geppetto Uh, and neither should we assume as many seem to that the Federal Reserve or other central banks have control of any of the strings either. These actors tend to have the ability to influence interest rates and confidence at the margin, but mostly there tend to be kind of grander, less easily simplified forces in motion and there tend to be the dominant things. Remember also, yes, um, developed world tax burdens uh, may shift uh, for consumers in terms of where uh, wherein society uh, bears the, the, the larger tax burden. And this is important for the directly affected um, individuals, of course. However, with, without wanting to in any way trivialise that effect, at the level of the economy, at the trend growth rate of the economy, history suggests no robust relationship between marginal tax rates and the trend growth rate that is at the nexus um, of long-term investor returns. And Remember, it's the US economy that sets the beat for the rest of us.
0: Okay, so let's finish off now with um, getting invested. So Mm. those investors who have been invested in 2019, great year. We'll finish off the year Mm. um, um, on a high. But when I when I speak to clients, those clients that have yet to invest, a lot of the concerns about getting invested for the first time, especially as we're what ten years into um, an economic cycle. The other point is valuations, Um, because when you read the press, everything seems quite expensive. I hear stock markets in the US. Are what 40 50% above fair value? I'm not sure that sounds like a good investment. At time at the moment.
1: Yeah, totally understandable. And I think this is a really important point. Um, and I, I, for one, am certainly happy to argue that investors should um, expect lower returns from a diversified portfolio or diversified uh, uh, fund than they should have expected a decade ago, let's say. Um, but quite a lot of that lower expectation comes from the bond market, actually, where yields are a lot lower and therefore so are expected, uh, expected returns. From the perspective of stocks, um, I would certainly stop and shares, I would definitely not say US uh, shares, stocks, um, uh, or any other stock markets for that matter, um, are as overvalued as that might suggest you know 40 50 over, overvalued most who argue um, those kind of figures tend to lean on the idea um, that it's worth kind of blindly comparing the way that companies were valued uh, the companies are valued now to how they were valued 50 or even 100 years ago the, the problem with history is it's not just different this time supposedly the foremost dangerous words in investing it, it's subtly and sometimes dramatically different every single time um, and and we often go back to you know talking about you know the railroads, you know, so if, what? how can I compare the S&P 500 of, you know, the early 20th century, when it's 12 railroad companies to the S&P of today, where it's dominated by companies that would, you know, inspire a religious terror, they make goods and services that would re- inspire a religious terror in many of our um, ancestors. But also think about it, you know, even if you look at a, just a 50 year comparison, in that um, comparison, you've got a 10 year chunk, pretty much a decade, uh, uh, you know, the 1970s, of characterized by hyperinflation and combined with many other factors that make it an absolutely horrible period. Uh, to be a company and therefore probably deserving of the very low valuation multiples uh, that characterize that decade and that drag down the overall average. So the problem is always, um, you know, that valuations, you know, when you're looking at historical averages, they can provide context and perspective, but you've got to be very careful how you use that perspective. The reality is that today's index, today's economic context, um, and all the things that make up today um, are mostly quite unique, and we have no trouble sort of suggesting, that stocks may be a little bit overvalued, but looking at various other uh, valuation metrics and looking at sort of, you know, some relative valuation metrics, something called the equity risk premium, for instance, that would to us suggest that um, that there's not the sort of level of kind of steepling over valuation that some of the headlines um, suggest. Uh, and we'd still be very happy to kind of own stocks over bonds on a uh, on a 10-year on a basis from this point.
0: Great makes sense to me. Uh, Thank you very much, Will. Well, um, that's all we've got time for this week. So thank you for your time, Will. And thank you all for listening. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.